praise God. Well, welcome to Tropical Sunday. Welcome to all you who are joining us online today. If it's your first time, no, we don't always dress like this. Uh, you know, when we usually try to plan Tropical Sunday, it's usually in the depths of the cold of winter, which normally February would be that. But I was looking at the weather. This week, we're like plus 10 in rain. So it's like, well, you know, we'll have Tropical Sunday. But then we get to have some good warm weather this week as well. Oh, well... I told my team that I would try and keep it short, and I'm going to try and do that because we've got great refreshments and we want to have a good time together. But we're going to continue on in our series this morning on the laws of God. Now, if you're here with us for the first time this morning, you're joining us online for the first time, when we hear the word the laws of God, we immediately have some preconceived ideas about what is about to be talked about. And I want you to go ahead and push those out of your mind because I guarantee you, what you've probably heard from a religious background is not what we're talking about today. When we think of the word laws of God, we think of all the don't do these and don't do these and don't do these. And if you do do those things, God's got to whack you. He's got a big stick and he's going to hit you. And unfortunately, that's a, by and large the message religion has portrayed to the world, do better or else. And that's not God's message. God's message was Jesus did better so you can receive from him. You know, it's unfortunate the amount of times that I've had conversations with people out in the world and you invite them to church and they said, oh, I could never do that. If I go through those doors, God will strike me with a lightning bolt. Why? Because they have an expectation of punishment instead of an expectation of meeting the mercy and the grace of God. Come on, his grace abounds much more whenever there is sin. Come on, we have to let the word do our talking. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. It will always be greater than whatever the screw-up was. And as Pastor Wendy was sharing parts of her testimony, it didn't matter what she had done, she met the grace of God that night 40 years ago. <laughs> you know, I keep thinking like, oh, it wasn't that long ago. No, it was a long time. <laughs> Oh, me, 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 me. <laughs> but we're talking about the laws of God, and so I want you to put it out of your mind that we're thinking about talking about the don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. No, here's the law, law number one we covered. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. There is a law at work on your behalf that's speaking life, 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 life. It wants to flow from God to you and out through you to everything you touch, wherever you you go, life flows. Come on, everything you put your hand to do is blessed through Christ Jesus. And so the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free. It has made you free. And so that sounds no, nothing like what our expectation of law is. I'm going to get rid of this thing. It's flopping around and distracting me. I'll put it back on later. The law of the spirit of life, that doesn't sound like a don't do this or else. And that, the thing is, I will remind you what we talked about last week. Most people use the definition of law as a system of rules regulating the actions of its members, which may be enforced by the imposition of penalties. That sounds like the Mosaic law. Here, don't murder your neighbor, don't steal your neighbor's stuff, or else. And that's how our societal laws go. 
obey the speed limit or else you get a fine, don't murder your neighbor, or you go to jail for the rest of your life. That's what we often think about when we think about laws. But the laws of God we're talking about are more akin to the laws of nature or the laws of physics. You know, we can think about Newton's first law that says that an object in motion will remain in motion until it's met with an equal or greater force, and then it will change its direction or stop it. And the life of God will flow to you until you stand up and put yourself and your faith in the way. Come on. So many people have such an expectation of bad things to happen to them, and all they're doing is putting their hand up and thumbing their nose in the life of God that is supposed to be flowing to them. You realize you can use your faith in both directions? Come on. A man gets what he believes for. Jesus said all things are possible to him who believes, not just the good things. A lot of times we have expectation. I've heard of so many people in my life that they have an expectation of sickness. And you know what? They always get met with it. I don't expect to get sick. Come on. And when it comes, I tell it to go. Why? Because by his stripes, I was healed. By the stripes of Jesus, he bore it so I don't have to. And so don't put yourself in the way and in opposition. Let life flow. And so when we're talking about the laws of God, this is the definition that more, works more closely with what we're talking about. It's a statement of fact. We're talking about God's realities. They may not be this world's realities, but his realities are higher. They are statements of fact. Just like the laws of motion are statements of fact. It was something that was observed. The law of gravity is a statement of fact. You toss a rock off the roof and it falls to the ground. They are statements of fact and they're not open to negotiation. Come on, every kid's been probably stupid enough to jump off something high and realize, ooh, I fell a little faster than I wanted to. You know, I remember when Bennett was a lot younger. Bennett's always been our fearless one. He just does things without thinking. And he climbed up onto the garage because I had left some wood stacked up against it, and he used it as a ladder because kids are inventive and imaginative. It's like, ooh, I can climb that. And so he got up on the roof, and then I came around. I'm like, Bennett, what are you doing up there? And he's like, oh, nothing, just walking around. I'm like, well, come on down. And he looked at the, what he climbed up. He's like, ooh, that doesn't look like something I want to climb back down. And I said, well, just jump. And he went, and as he jumped, he saw his eyes just go, <gasps> and I caught him, and I put him down, and he's like, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> because he fell a lot faster. Gravity took hold, and there's a set speed. It's a statement of fact. And the laws of God are statements of fact deduced from observation to the effect that a particular phenomenon always occurs when certain conditions are present. So certain things happen when you submit to God's laws, and they always happen when you're in submission to them. Now, I want to deal with for a second, it says deduced from observation, and I want you to fully know that I'm not talking about how you feel about something. Come on. When you're looking into at things, it's like, oh, well, I don't feel like that's right, or I don't think that's been my experience. You want to know where you find that observation? Well, law number two, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, where do we observe those statements of fact? In his word, which is his perfect law of liberty. It's that law that sets you free. And as I said last week, you can always tell 
whether the word is being properly applied or misapplied based upon whether it sets you free from something and to something. Come on, the word of God is there to shape off the shackles, to shake them off, to break them off of you so that you can walk in freedom. Just like Pastor Wendy was talking about her testimony. When she met Jesus, her want to changed because the chains got broken off. The word of God is there to set you free. And so with that observation that we see, that, that to see those statements of fact comes from the word. What does the word say? Not how you feel, not what you've experienced, because your experience is often based upon what the world has to offer. I'm going to let my experience now be shaped by what the word of God says about me. Amen? And so we can look at what Paul said, or sorry, let's finish here for a second. He says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. So it's not just a one-time thing. We continually keep our eyes on God and we are transformed from glory to glory. We have our minds renewed by his transforming power of what he said. So we continue in it. It's not something we visit, it's something we live. And it says, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer. That statement is a direct connection back to what James had already said earlier in the chapter, where he said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, but let him ask in faith, not doubting. So he's saying, if you ask for something from God, you better stand in faith and believe you're actually going to receive from him, not doubting. That's where so many Christians end up. It's like, oh God... I ask for this, but then they're like, they go ahead and live their life as though it's never going to happen. Come on. The apostle John said that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know we have the petitions that we've desired of him. That's what John said. If you ask in line with the law, the perfect law of liberty, in line with the word, God hears you. And if you ask in line with the word, his answer is Yes. Why? Because all the promises of God are yes and amen. We're, we're quoting scripture there. Those aren't Pastor Jordan words. Those are Bible words, the perfect law of liberty words. And so he says, ask in faith, not doubting. For he who doubts is like a person who looks into a mirror and sees what type of person he is. You look in the mirror and you see how you are, but then you turn away and you immediately forget what type of person you were. When you look into the word and it says you're one way, don't turn away from the word and then say you're something else. Come on. Say what he said. And so he says, don't be a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Why? Because blessing is your natural state of being. Come on. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, he said, Grace to you and peace from our God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has, past tense, has blessed us with every. Everyone say every. every. What's another word for every? All. All. Spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Every. Already done it. Past tense. 
Now, a religious mindset usually says, well, that's in heaven. I'm here on earth. Sure, it's going to be great when we get to the sweet by and by. Oh, Lord, glory when I get there. Oh, it'll be great. No, I don't want to wait for there to be great. Jesus prayed out on earth as it is in heaven. And so what he did is he raised you up and he made you to sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so that's spiritually where you sit right now, not later. And so those spiritual blessings are already at work in you. But if we would just read one more verse, and I think that a lot of the Bible's like that. You can make the Bible say anything you want if you take it out of its context. But if you look at the whole message of what he's saying, it interprets itself. So he's blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So just as he's provided salvation for you is the same way he's blessed you with every blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So if you believe in the power of salvation at work in your life, you need to also believe in the power of God's blessing at work in your life. His empowerment to prosper in what you put your hand to do. That it just flows to you. That it in all things you are blessed you are empowered because it's the same way that salvation flows is the same way those blessings flow can I hear an amen? amen come on if you can't say amen say oh me then come on just as the same way as salvation that we should be holy and without blame before him in love that we should be holy that's a statement of what you are you are set apart unto him you are a vessel prepared for the works that he's made you for. And you are without blame before him in love. Because having predestined us to the adoption as sons and daughters, as Je by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasures of his will. Come on, according to how he desired it to be. And he didn't even just say, oh, I'm begrudgingly doing it. It was the good pleasure of his will. That kind of sounds like what we read last week in the book of James in chapter 1, verse 18. He said, according to his will, he has spoken his word of truth over us that we can be the prime example of what he has intended. Come on, it was of his will. It was his desire and his choice to do it. Yeah. So it should be our desire and our choice to walk in those things because we want to be in line with the will of God. So the easiest way to do that is say, God, I'm going to stop fighting you about being blessed, and I'm going to go ahead and say, that's what I am. I am blessed. I'm blessed at my job. I'm blessed in my family. I'm blessed in the marketplace. Wherever I find myself, there I am blessed. Come on. And not even for your good, it says, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. And in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, not our works, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and all prudence, 
having made known to us what is the mystery of his will. It was a mystery to those in the Old Testament. It's not a mystery anymore. Paul tells you what the mystery is. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. According to the good pleasure in which he purposed in himself. So we're talking about laws as a statement of fact deduced from observation of looking into the word to the effect that a particular phenomenon always occurs when certain conditions are present. I want want you to know what condition is present in you right now. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is at work in you. Let it flow to you. Let it flow through you. Let it touch every part of you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, he dwells on the inside of you. And if he dwells in you, it says he will quicken or make alive or bring to life even your mortal body. Speak that to your aches. Speak that to your pains. Speak that to your headaches. Speak that to any sickness. Speak that to any disease. The life of God is in me and I will continue to abide in his life because that's the law that's at work. So the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. And when I look into the perfect law of liberty and I continue in it, I'm blessed in what I do. And we were ending last week on this question and we're going to go back there. What makes the law of liberty so perfect? It's the perfect law of liberty. It means it doesn't need any additions. You know, I like what David Horton said once. He's like, a lot of the way that Christians treat Christianity is God has painted this most beautiful masterpiece of a painting. And then we walk up to it with our watercolors and our crayons and start trying to add to it. No, what he did, the work he did in Christ Jesus was perfect. It was enough. It doesn't need your additions. It doesn't need your do this, do that, do this, or else. No, I don't do because of or else. I do because I am. And what makes the law of liberty so perfect? It reveals the royal law. And what is the royal law? It's the royal law of love. What makes it royal? When you look into the word, you can't help but find God. You can't help but find Jesus, the King. You begin to see His intentions. You begin to see His thoughts about things. It's the royal law of love because it's the law that governs Him. It's the law that reveals His intentions, His motivations, and His actions. He's always moved by love. So James said in James 2.8, the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself and you do well. The royal law of love working in you can't help but reach out to those around you. Come on. We live in a world that is pretty, I take care of me and mine and you don't get in my way. That's not God's way. God's law says, no, reach out to those around you and lift them up. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. Well, like, I can kind of deal with, you know, loving my neighbor a bit, but as myself, that's pushing a little far. That means that you still have a ways to understand how God loves you. So as we dive into this a little deeper, and my, uh, my intention when I started this series was that I was going to do, like, 
one law and then like a half a law and then I was like so today we should have been doing the royal law and the next law today and I was like I can't do that how can you cram the thoughts and the intentions of the king into half of a week you can't do it so we're gonna have to go a little bit longer but I, I assume you're gonna forgive me for that that we have to stretch this out because the royal law of love is God's heart God's intentions and so in Mark chapter 12 let's look a little deeper into it and in Mark chapter 12, here we find Jesus, and he's having a contentious discussion with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he keeps putting them in their place, until, in verse 28, it says, then one of the scribes came. And so it says scribes, so it's differentiating him, him from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He could have been involved, but he's not lumped in to the same mentalities and mindsets that they had. It differentiates who he is. It says, then one of the scribes came, and having heard them, which means he's not part of them, he's someone separate, who, a scribe would be someone who would be writing out and transcribing the scrolls from the past. So we're talking about the Pentateuch, we're talking about the laws and the prophets, the minors and the majors. And so he's someone who is very versed in what God has said in times past. And it's amazing when you actually know what God has said, how it changes your perspective. Versus someone who thinks they know what God has said. And so having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, he asked, this is him asking of Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? Better way to say that, what's the highest law or commandment, Jesus? In your opinion, which one is the top of the top of the top? And so Jesus answered him, he said, first of all commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so Jesus puts the focus where it needs to be, put your eyes on God, he's the only one that matters, all these other ones that people play around with, they're not worth nothing. Look to Jesus in all things, he's the only one that matters. And that's important because the Jews have a history of ups and downs. They served God, and then they served other gods, and then they served God, and then they served other gods. And it just continues on and on, and now they find themselves in a place of subjugation under the Romans who have many, many, many gods. And so you think that it would have ended their history of up and down, up and down, up and down. No, they had Jews at that per time that were serving after the Roman gods so that they could appease the ones that were subjugating them. And so here, Jesus puts the focus where it needs to be first. God, the only one that matters. And he says this, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and this is the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, when that kind of sounds very similar to something Paul said, and we read it last week in Galatians 6.2, he said, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of of Christ. And so when we read the language that they have laid out here, we can get the idea that this sounds like law definition number one. Do this. But there's something important that's missing. The or else. He doesn't say, 
love God or else. He just says, love God. He doesn't say, love your neighbor or else. He just says, love your neighbor. Why? Because Jesus is freeing them from the or else. And he's bringing them into a place through his, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of God where this is going to be your natural state. This is just how we are because of who we are, because of who he is and what he has done. So this is not law like the first law, do this or else. This is God's law. And you know, the thing is, the more you get to know God, the more you become like Him. And the more you know about Him, the more you want to know about Him. And you can easily see who's got their eyes on Jesus because they want more of Him. Because when you look into His wonders, how could you not want more? He's the most attractive thing in the universe. He's the one who created it. Everything that is wonderful to look at in this world came from him everything that is beautiful you get out in nature and you're looking at mountains and rivers and glaciers and everything that all came from him and so when you look at him it is even more attractive than that you can't help but want more and so what Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 3 verse 10 in the Amplified he says my determined purpose is that I may know him that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. More and more, more deeply, more intimately, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. And so Paul says, my number one drive is I just want to be with God because when I'm with him, I see things that I can't forget, that I can't shake, that change me, that transform me. It revolutionizes the way that I live because I've seen him. And when I've seen him, how could I be the same? And that I may in the same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection. So not only does Paul want to know more of God and perceive more of him and understand his wonders more, he wants to understand the influence that now has on us because of the power outflowing from his resurrection. Come on. When you see him, something happens to you. The cross has a hold on you, and there's power outflowing from him. That Paul prayed that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would know what is the hope of your calling, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards you who believe. There's a power that's flowing out of him, from him to you, out from you. And so Paul says that I would know that power outflowing, and that I may also share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness even to his death Paul's saying when I see him I'm changed I'm changed into how he is come on in the hope or let's say it a different way 
in the expectation, the confident expectation that if possible, I may attain to that spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in the body, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. It lifts me out from among the dead, even right now in the body. I don't have to wait for heaven. I'm changed now. Okay, back to the scribe. In verse 32, he says, So the scribe said to Jesus after his response, Well said, teacher. I agree with you. You have spoken the truth. For there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. The scribe says, Jesus, you're not talking about the Mosaic law. You're not saying do this or else. What you just said is greater than everything it contained. The law of love supersedes all. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Meaning the laws of God are already taking their sway and their hold over you. Man, we've stepped out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of the Son, the Son of His love. These are the laws that have hold over us. These are the statements of fact. How can I not love? It's everything I am because it's everything he is. So let's see another person's perspective on it. Let's look at the apostle John, who they call the beloved apostle or the apostle whom Jesus loved. This is a person who understands the love of God or the royal law of love. And this is what he says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. He says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. This is salvation. All those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you, did, when you called upon Jesus, when you believed with your heart, when you confessed with your mouth, you stepped into the kingdom. Kingdom laws now have hold on you. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. So John says, I didn't just know it, I believe it. Whew. And there's a difference between what you know and what you actually believe, because what you believe, you'll walk in. It's not just a story that I know, it's a reality that I exist in. I am loved by God. We have to know that. Why? Because it'll heal any wound of your heart. It'll take any trauma that you've experienced, roll it up into a ball and go, not needed, you're loved, you're accepted, you're safe, you're secure, and forever and ever, I will lavish my love upon you. I have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. Not that he has it, 
He is it. That's why it's the royal law. It's what he is. The king is love. It oozes every out of every part of him into every part of you so that you are changed. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And so this brings into perspective what Jesus said. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and everything you've got and your neighbor because you can't help it. That's what's on the inside of you. God is doing that. And when I walk in step with him and when my eyes are locked on him, I do it too. Not because I tried, it's because I who I am. It says love has been perfected among us. Say in me. Love has been perfected in you. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Come on. As he is, so are we in this world. How is Jesus? He's not broke. He's not broken. He's not insecure. He's not sick. No. He's reigning. And if you've got time to complain, you've got time to reign. You choose who you align your words with. You can either stand in opposition to the laws of God by putting your faith against them, or you can put your faith in line with what Jesus has said. There is no fear in love. There's a lot of fear in this world. Come on, all you have to do is watch the news for a little bit. This week's been a strange week. (laughs) But there's no fear in love. Why? Because there's no fear that exists in God. And you exist in Him and He exists in you. And perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. Which means God does not involve torment. Which means God is all carrot and no stick. Come on. That's why the law is not that first definition. It's not do good or else. And we all, most Christians live that way. Do good, get good, good. Do bad, get bad. No, believe Jesus and receive from him. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love, or another way of saying that, he who's in fear has taken his eyes off of God and what he is on the inside of you. And here... This is why Jesus said what he said. Because we love him because he first loves us. Our ability to love is a response to our acceptance of his love. So when people say, well, I just don't know if I could do that, look at Jesus and you'll find yourself just doing it. Because our love is a response to his love. You know, I love the story that Joseph Prince tells. He got into a cab in New York, and uh, he was having a conversation with the guy driving the cab, and it was a good conversation, and as it went on, Joseph turned to him and he said, you know, I want you to know that God loves you. And the man said, oh, yeah, 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 God loves us all. And because that's how we like to keep things. Let's keep it general. Let's keep the focus off of me. And he said, no, 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 that's not what I said. I want you to know that God loves you. It's personal for God. It should be personal for you. Go ahead and say, God, God. 
I'm so glad you love me. I let your love shine upon me, transform me, and I love like you love. So John says next, he says, if someone says, I love God, but he hates his brother, he's a liar. I love the strong language of the Bible. It does the talking for you. If you say you love God, but you hate someone, you're a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hasn't seen? Which John is saying, if you saw God, love would flow. And so if there's people that your heart keeps you from, look at God and let him heal those barriers. Mend those wounds and fix those bridges. Now, Romans 5 says, hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Love is in us. It's all is in us because that's all that's in us is God. Amen? So we've got law number one. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We have law number two, that he who looks into the perfect law of liberty or freedom and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer of the, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. And we've got the royal law of love. Because that's everything God is. And if we think about that in context of 1 Corinthians 13, which we call the love chapter, it's not speaking about how you should love others, though you should. It's speaking about how God loves. And so we can substitute love for God. God endures long and is patient and kind. Isn't that a good thing to say? Come on. Think about the implications of that. God endures long, and he's patient and kind. That should revolutionize our religious thinking. If you're thinking God's mad and mean, love is kind, and God is love. God is never envious nor boils over with jealousy. He's not boastful. He's not vainglorious. He doesn't display himself haughtily. He's not conceited. He's not arrogant. He's not inflated with pride. He's not rude and unmannerly. He doesn't act unbecomingly. God does not insist on his own rights or his own ways. He doesn't insist on it. That's why Christianity is a choice. Because he doesn't insist on his own right. Wait, he says, what do you want? Do you want to come to me? I've made a way. Come to me through Jesus. He is not self-seeking. He's not touchy. That's a good one. <laughs> come on. I know you may be, but he's not. He's not fretful. I mean, he's not worrying about the situation. That's why Peter said, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. He takes care of the worrying. He doesn't use it at all. He tosses it on the cross. He's not resentful. He takes no account of the evil done to it, and he pays no attention to a suffered wrong. He doesn't rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but he does rejoice when right and truth prevails. God bears up under anything, and everything that comes, he is ever ready to believe the best of every person, including you. 
His hopes are fadeless. He always has a confident expectation in all circumstances, including the one you're going through right now. And he endures everything without weakening. He never fails. He never fades out. He never becomes obsolete. That's why you got to not listen to the world. The Bible's just not relevant to us anymore. It's written 2,000 years ago. Morals have changed in the way society is. No, shut up. It doesn't become obsolete because he's not obsolete. And he doesn't come to an end. But what does uh, Paul say about us? He says, for our knowledge is fragmentary. It is incomplete and it's imperfect. He says, our prophecy or our teaching is fragmentary. It's incomplete and it's imperfect. But when the complete and the perfect, the total comes, the incomplete and the imperfect will vanish away and become antiquated, void, and superseded. Well, the perfect has come. Looking into the perfect law of liberty, it makes everything else, how you lived before, become incomplete and old and void and pass away. As we live out of God, that changes us. As Pastor Wendy already said today, when she came to Jesus, her want to change. If you want to change, come back to Jesus and see your want to change. Because we live under the royal law of love. Now, in just a moment, our Word Care team is going to be right up here at the front. They would love to pray with you, believe with you, agree with you. They would love to usher you into the kingdom of God. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, today's the day to do it. Step into the kingdom and submit to the laws of God. They would love to pray with you and believe with you. Pastor Robin, why don't you come on up and bring us in for a landing into celebration. Amen. That's offering time. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. And so we're going to give you opportunity to do that today. Um, we have several ways you can do that. You can do go online and wordchurch.ca backwards slash give. Uh, and or there's a basket at the back. There's an envelope in the, in the seat in front of you. Um, and uh, we thank you for that. And let's say this confession together. Because if you're going to be giving tithes and offerings, God's love reciprocates. Amen? So let's say this. As I tithe and give offerings, I'm believing the Lord for souls and more souls, jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, favorable settlements, states and inheritance, interest and income, rebates and returns, discounts and dividends, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills decrease, bills paid off, blessings and increases. I thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs, that I may have more than enough to give to the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, say amen. 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 You are a blessed people.